What does entitlement mentality and attitude reveal about the wife who possesses and embodies it? Welcome back, ladies, to Imaging God's Imminence, part three. And this Imaging God's Imminence is the fourth part of the discipline of joy, having been preceded by the first part on planned and spontaneous rest, the second part on daily rejoicing, and the third part on living the serenity prayer. Today, as we mentioned at the end of last week's episode, we will be talking about why wives find it difficult to receive, what signs or signals there might be to indicate that this is an area where we struggle, and how we can discipline ourselves to do better. So first, let's talk about entitlement. Um, When someone has a proper sense of their own dignity as assigned to them by God and as stemming from their relationship with him, they're not afraid of their dignity being taken away from them by other human beings because they trust in God's promises. And what that also means is that they're not afraid of how fallen human beings treat them. Again, because they know that their dignity comes from God and that no human being can take that from them. And this is what we see in the saints, right? All of the saints were subject to the imperfections of other human beings. It's not even that they were all treated badly by deliberately evil people. Um, They were just subject to the imperfections of others. The saints were not people who had it easy because everybody gave them whatever was truly befitting the dignity of a child of God. So where does entitlement come in? Entitled people, people with an entitlement mentality and an entitled attitude, are people who are fundamentally insecure in their relationship with God. In many cases, in today's secular society, it's quite probable that they might not even believe in God. Now, because entitled people do not trust in God keeping his promises, whether it's because they're really just struggling or because they deny his existence completely, they look to other human beings to help them maintain their own sense of dignity. But as we know, we are all sinners. So when other human beings inevitably fail to assign that dignity to their fellow man, again, not not necessarily out of malice, not because they intend to hurt other people. Still, when this happens, the person who is not secure in their relationship with God starts to bully other people, demanding things of other people because it's the only way that they can come up with to help themselves maintain their sense of dignity. So in the context of a marriage, a wife might trust a husband up front to treat her as a child of God deserves to be treated. Hopefully that's one of the reasons why she married him. 
but her husband will inevitably fail to treat her perfectly with a perfect sense of her dignity as a child of God because he is a sinner. And if a wife is not secure in her relationship with God, she will take matters into her own hands. When she comes to the conclusion that her husband cannot be trusted to give her what she wants to believe that she deserves, and we'll come back to this very shortly, she starts to bully her husband. She bullies him in an attempt to drill into his head that she is deserving. And she will resort to all sorts of sinful behaviors such as whining, crying, screaming, threatening, etc. To bend her husband's will to her own. To make him treat her the way she wants to believe that she deserves to be treated. That's what entitlement is. But what the entitled person's behavior reveals is that their deepest fear is actually that they are not worthy of anything. An entitled person, a person with an entitlement mentality and an entitled attitude, is someone whose deepest fear is that they are totally unworthy of anything. And that fear comes back to a weak or a total lack of relationship with God. See, what saints do differently is that even though they know that God has endowed them with dignity and that there is a standard of treatment befitting that dignity, because of their solid relationship with God, they respond to the imperfections of their fellow human beings from a place of generosity rather than from a place of fear. A saint is not a person who is never subject to injustice but rather one who responds to injustice with forgiveness rather than resentment, because justice is God's. You, as a wife, undoubtedly deserve the best as a daughter of God. But you know what? Your husband deserves the best as a son of God. And just as he might fail to give you the best, you will fail to give him the best. It doesn't matter who fails first. And asking that question is a failure in and of itself. The saint realizes, who am I to bully people into treating me well when our Lord allowed himself to be crucified? Christ didn't allow himself to be crucified because he lacked a sense of his own dignity. Rather, he knew his own worth and his great power as son of man and son of God, and he chose to act with dignity when everyone else around him was not. He responded with love and generosity towards his captors, towards his abusers, towards his killers. Who are we, we fallen human beings, to think that we have the right to bully people into treating us better than how Christ was treated. Why do women find it hard to be receptive towards their husbands? When a woman has a hard time being receptive towards her husband, it is a reflection of her relationship with God. It is an indication that she is not secure in her own dignity as coming from God. If she has to resort to bullying what she thinks she deserves out of her husband, 
It shows that she doesn't trust God to fulfill his promises. At the end of the day, the wife who struggles to receive is afraid that she doesn't really deserve anything. She has to resort to meanness, to drill it into her husband's head that she deserves something. She has to resort to intimidation to get what she wants out of her husband because she does not trust that God provides what she needs when she needs it and that he knew what he was doing when he clothed her husband with authority over her and entrusted her entire person to an admittedly fallen human being. The entitled wife has lost her sense of dignity because of her lack of trust in God. So what are some signs that a wife is struggling in this area? Um, I'm going to give five that I think are fairly common with this caveat that the following assumes that you are currently living with your husband. So number one, if a wife is listing out in her head all of the things that she does for her husband and thinking to herself how little he does for her in comparison or in return. Number two, similarly, if she is listing out loud for her husband all of the things that she does for him in an effort to guilt him into doing more for her. Number three, if a wife is struggling in her discipline of daily rejoicing to think of things to be grateful for in relation to her husband. Number four, if a wife is despairing of being able to motivate her husband to do more, thinking to herself that he does so little. And number five, if a wife feels like she has to do anything and everything herself in order for those things to be done right. So this list is not comprehensive by any means. These are just, I think, five of the most common signs that a woman is struggling with receiving in a godly manner. So what can we do differently? How can we do better? Well, again, to reiterate, the previous three parts of the discipline of joy set us up to receive well by detaching us from outcomes, from what our husbands give us, from when they give things to us, and how they procure those things. So that's the setup. From there to work specifically on this part of the discipline of joy, on imaging God's imminence, um, is yet another exercise of self-awareness, of self-knowledge. So fair warning up front. Um, this is the most involved exercise yet. And so please, 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 if you have not listened to our episodes on the other three parts of the discipline of joy, please do start there, or this exercise is just going to be horrendously difficult uh, to attempt at all. You will observe throughout the day, every day, for an entire week, and write down every incident where your husband offers something, whether verbally or non-verbally. And we'll elaborate on that part in just a bit. And then you will also write down how you responded. I would recommend briefly examining your conduct every half hour during the hours that you and your husband are in the same physical space. Because if you wait until the end of the day to examine yourself, you are very likely to have forgotten many things. 
you have got to be on top of this observation process. You have to start off the day with the intention of observing and you have to remind yourself constantly because what we're looking to catch and what you will be working to change is likely a knee-jerk reaction at this point. And it is very difficult to remember those interactions where you reacted with a knee-jerk reaction, with a thoughtless reaction. Now, if you're thinking to yourself that your husband never offers anything, here are some tips. Tip number one, verbal offerings might not always be in the form of a question, okay? Rather than, can I do this for you? Or what can I do for you? You might hear assertive statements such as, I can or I will do this statements. I can pick up the kids. I can run and take care of that oil change. I will do some yard work. I will take care of my own lunch. Because, tip number two, our husbands want us to know and need us to acknowledge that they are capable of anything and everything that they put their minds to. But also, tip number three, our husbands should not have to tag on the two words for you to the end of any of those sentences for you to understand that it is done for you. Part of respect is assuming that everything that your husband does is for you. Okay? If he's picking up the kids, he's saving you the trouble. If he's getting the oil changed in the car and you're saying, he's getting the oil changed in his own car, that's not for me. Well, but who is he going to call to pick him up if his car breaks down and it gets towed to the shop and he has to leave it there overnight? You, right? So he's doing something to make sure that his car isn't going to break down. He's ultimately saving you the inconvenience of having to pick him up if something were to go sideways, right? Everything good that your husband does benefits you in some way, and it is up to you to decide to see that. Tip number four, sometimes it might be you can do this statements. When my husband says you can cook dinner now or you can go grocery shopping or you can drop off the package, he's not ordering me around. What he's thinking, and I know because we've talked about it, is usually along the lines of that he's given me a break from the kids. He's giving me a chance to get out of the house. He's giving me time to focus on something that he knows is weighing on my mind and that I need to get off my back. He's letting me know that he's available to take care of whatever might come up while I'm doing that thing. While I have the benefit of knowing this because we've talked about it and because my husband will sometimes follow up his original statement with a qualifier, such as, I'm sure you would like a chance to get out of the house. What it comes back to is that it's my choice to respond from a place of generosity and assume that he means well. It is my job to not require a qualifier to follow. You can make the same choice to give your husband the benefit of the doubt. Let me give an example of one with which I always struggle if I do not mentally prepare myself to hear it. When my husband says, you can go to confession first. 
Okay. My husband is not saying you are more sinful or I'm trying to get out of it, which is what I am practically always tempted to hear. But what I can choose instead to hear is that my husband is concerned for my well-being, that my husband is concerned for my soul, that my husband desires for me to benefit from the grace of the sacrament, or just practically that my husband wants to make sure that I get to confession before the kids start acting up or the line gets cut off for the start of Mass. Another thing that I have learned that my husband might be trying to do, because my husband specifically has struggled heavily with scrupulosity in the past under the care of multiple spiritual directors, including during his time in seminary, is that he is essentially asking me for some more time to examine his own conscience. He's not stalling. He legitimately needs more time to be able to make a good confession himself. Tip number six, so much of the time your husband won't say anything at all. Because, going back to tip number three, everything good that they do benefits you in some way. They don't need to announce that, or rather, they shouldn't have to. They just do things, and it's great. Men, most men, are not boastful or self-important when it comes to the things that they do for their wives. The overwhelming majority of Catholic husbands do not feel any need to blow the trumpet to announce their assistance. This is a good thing. This is something we should appreciate. They are not full of themselves. The overwhelming majority of Catholic husbands out there are very dutiful husbands. So now, what about your response? Because that's the other half of the equation here. You're working to become aware of how you might be responding thoughtlessly in ways which discourage your husband, in ways which squash his spirit and demotivate him. We are also assuming the best of you, that you respond thoughtlessly and not with malice. Okay? The first most discouraging response to watch out for is the most obvious one. Flat out refusing or denying your husband. It doesn't matter how nicely you say it. Are you constantly responding to him with either, no thank you, or I'll do that myself? If you say something like this every few weeks, every month or two, it's no big deal. But if you're saying this on a daily basis, or worse, multiple times a day, I promise it is seriously wearing down on your husband's spirit. The more you do it, the less likely he is to offer to do anything at all. Why would he bother if he's just going to get turned down? The second most discouraging response is telling him that he shouldn't attempt to do something at all because he's no good at it. Example, something is wrong with the sink and he says he's going to take a look at it. And you tell him that he's not a plumber and he'll just be wasting his time and he just needs to call someone. It doesn't matter if your husband isn't a plumber. You're hurting his feelings very greatly by suggesting that he can't figure it out. Third most discouraging response is criticizing what our husband is doing 
when he is doing it or how our husband is doing it. So remember, being able to image God's imminence begins with detaching ourselves from outcomes by letting go of precisely these three things. What God gives, when God gives it, and how he gives and blesses us through our husbands. So example, your husband says he's going to go get an oil change and you get mad at him because you want him to wash the dishes right this darn second. Fourth, apparently beginning to appreciate something he's doing or has done and then tacking on a follow-up sentence about how he can do it better next time. Or letting him start to do something and then taking over uninvited because according to you, he's doing it wrong. Fifth, hovering while he's doing something and attempting to help or interject suggestions or just expressing disapproval over and over and over again while he's trying to complete a task. Now, again, this is not... A comprehensive list, but hopefully we've laid the groundwork for you to be able to identify what constitutes an inappropriate response. We're going to stop here for the week, ladies. I recommend that you spend this week observing yourself every single day, every half hour, when you and your husband are in the same physical space. Obviously, not necessary while he's at work, unless you're texting or on the phone. And then next week, we will pick up and talk about how you can turn these negative interactions around. God bless and happy Mother's Day. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you. And we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast. Mm-hmm.